House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, and Mr. Dave North Martino is back. Wow, you used my full name. That's crazy. Yeah. I thought I'm being polite, you know. <laughs> summer, summer today, first day of summer. Yeah. You know, beginning of Crazy. the end. Yeah. The beginning of the end. Beginning of the end. That's right. <laughs> You're getting all that hate mail. What's that happening? What, what people? What you, you have your phone number on your social media? What are you crazy? No, no, no. Somebody, I didn't know you can do this. Somebody sent me a voicemail through Facebook Messenger. Oh. And so I had to bleep out a lot of what he said. <laughs> Okay. It was all swears. Well, what's wrong with the swearing? Just, it's just a love note, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> I no. wanted to put, post it on YouTube, and they tend to, to down. Oh, yeah, grade. YouTube would. Yeah. You know. But you can get away with it on Facebook. Yeah. You know. But that's crazy. I love that. I love that uh, you're getting hay mail. Good. So you're getting yeah. more popular than me. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> coming. it's probably one of the people you sent to me, Al. Oh, I, yeah, it is. It's true. Uh, I, I was just checking to see if you had a phone number because I was giving it out. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Anybody that wants to take out there. Yeah, because he, he turned pretty ugly pretty quick, didn't he? Yeah, he did. That was, was really was strange. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's just having a really bad day. Yeah. He, he's probably just indicted or something. I don't know. <laughs> probably. It was pretty funny. <laughs> Sounded like it. Uh, anyway. Anyway. And so you like the, the, the Dolly Parton with... Uh, Rob Hall. Yeah, you sent me that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of it? Yeah, that? I thought she sounded good. She does, but I still I like I like that she's doing it with with you know the guy from uh, Judas Priest, Rob Halford, Robbie. Yeah. And Magic Man, she did with Hart and Wilson. Yeah. I like it, but um, on those songs, I feel more anger from the original. Yeah. Do you know when you listen to the yeah. original, there was there was kind of you know something angry about it or something sinister and yeah. she i just i can't i don't believe dolly can sound angry no you know what i mean it doesn't sound <laughs> but she's got a good voice and it's and i'm glad they're mixing things up that's the way it should be i think you know? yeah it's you know, fun it's going to be an interesting album that's for sure i was surprised because i didn't think ann wilson sang that song anymore magic man we're right because, because of yeah because yeah, of, of the controversy but you know she's she did it for dolly yeah. Well, I, I guess I Dolly can get Dolly. anybody to do anything. Oh, I would well, too. she seems like such a nice person. That's why to have her yeah. sing an angry song. Songs, exactly. <laughs> Got to get her angry. Got to get her angry. Go call her name. <laughs> no. See, nobody wants to do that. Well, no, no. Well, speaking of yes. anger and all of the, the unrest and stuff, you know, yeah. we, uh, we're going to, we have an author on today that's kind of, he's, he's writing about um, the 1800s and the unrest back then and Civil War and all the problems that were going on and how we're sort of almost back there now, <laughs> today. <laughs> just It's just the, the names have changed, but there seems to be an ongoing battle. So um, his books, he's got The Journey and Journey Volume 2. He's got other ones, too. So we're going to talk about his writing and everything like that. So Mr. Gary the Brill, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. First, why did you decide to write uh, in that time period? Like the two, the two journey books is is during that time period of you know the wars and constitution and 
and slavery and all that stuff. What drew you to that subject? I actually started it as a uh, short story after reading some articles. I was living overseas at the time in, in Budapest, Hungary. We were there for 10 years. And um, I started reading about uh, how people said that uh, if you knelt during the uh, national anthem and everything, that you were disrespecting the flag. And my feeling was that you were always representing what the flag stood for, which was the freedom freedom to express yourself. And uh, so I wrote a short story called The Banner uh, about uh, black involvement in the, uh, in, in the coming to be of the song, The Star-Spangled Banner. And uh, I got to the end of it, and I just kept going. <laughs> I just, I, it took on a life of its own. I intend for it to be a, a, a four-volume series. I, I started out with, uh, uh, I knew where I was going to start. And I want to end in 1965 on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. That's always been my target to get there. And I figure it's going to take two more volumes to do that. Right. Well, it's certainly an interesting time. I know I do a lot of a lot of the books I write. Um, I go back in time, you know, the 20s and different times. And it, it always, or it used to always surprise me when I'd go through the book or go through the papers of the time day to day, all of the same battles and fighting that was going on in, in the papers and the, their version of editorials is much the same as it is today. It just Why do you think this just keeps on dragging on over and over and over again? Uh, I think a lot of it's, um, it's just a, a human need for one group to feel more powerful than the other. I mean, and I, I, I kind of touch on that in the, in the book directly when, when uh, James is uh, – two boys are younger and they ask him why, why life is the way it is. And um, he just says as simply as he can, that it's all about standing on somebody else to feel tall. And uh, you know, the belief that some are superior to others is, is deep seated in most social structures around the world. Power is derived from controlling others. And uh, that's the definition of power to control others. And that's um that's what it's been. They they came to this country uh, against their will and and uh, without anything, and so they never were allowed to get anything, and they're still not allowed to get anything. And the wrong is still happening today, and uh, I think more people are beginning to get a little sympathetic to that fact that that uh, this kind of of garbage is still happening today. And the example I like in, in my books: uh, the family, the Woodman family, uh, lives in the present day and is always looking forward. But the people, their enemies, the slave chasers, the slave hunters, um, the racists and everything, they live in the past, and they want to stay there. And that's very similar, uh, I think, that you'll find this happening today. It, it resonates. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just, I, I, I don't know what to say about it. It's, it's terrible. Did you have the idea of, of what you wanted to write before you had, let's say, the characters like the Woodman family and, and that, or did you have the Woodman family first and then you decided to put them into this? Like, where where did it start for you? Yeah, that's yeah. I uh, I actually I had the story in mind first, and then and then I uh, gave birth to the characters and uh, yeah, it kind of went that way. And and you're kind of old to be giving birth. Yeah, I know. But uh, see the gray hair. Um, yeah. But um, I heard another guest of yours uh, speak about. I think it was uh, Wanda Morris said uh, that she outlines the whole book before she starts, and I, I can't really do that at all. And 
you can find, if you read through the reviews on my website, um, you'll find that a lot of them mention that they readers feel like they're sitting in a room listening to a conversation between people, which is how I write. And this is going to sound weird, and I, I heard you don't like weirdo writers, but... Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's not true. Come on, Dave wouldn't be here. That's right. Yeah, there you go. But uh, I really do. Uh, create these characters, and I put them in a situation. Then I get a chair, and I sit in a corner, and I write down what they say. And uh, hopefully they don't notice I'm in the room. They never seem to. But uh, uh, And it's just a very natural flow. I, 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 I don't really have to do much thinking once they get going, and, and I just write it all down as it comes. And, of course, with a lot of editing later, but uh, um, that's, that's just the way I, I do it. So, so you really kind of write a, a conversation, and um, you you kind of watch it and, and kind of and write it out. But that's kind of it's kind of fun in a way. So you don't you don't necessarily know what they're going to say or how they're going to take the story. Then, right? No, never. And uh, and characters just pop out of uh, out of the ether all of a sudden when I need somebody. Uh, there they are. And uh, like the character of May, who is crucial uh, in the second book. Um, and her description and everything just it just happened i mean i i, I had no idea i was kind of sitting here going hmm what are we going to do this this is happening and, and i need to make a transition to this other uh, scenery this other motion in the in in the uh, story and boom there she was are you on drugs when you do this <laughs> no, <do> you... <laughs> no i don't even i tried once when i was still living in budapest i uh I tried sitting down with a glass of wine and, and writing some, and uh, I wrote about ten words. So I don't, I don't. <laughs> yeah. do you know that you've heard that expression, I'm sure, the the terror or the horror of the blank page, and that's really true. So I I, <laughs> I, I try to come to it uh, ready to go. Well, do, do your characters um, also? You know, you said you had characters who kind of just popped up to to kind of fill in what was going on or or to take the story where it needed to go. Have you ever had a character kind of just pull your plot like completely off the rails? Not off the rails, but certainly uh, change the heading slightly, if I can use an airplane term. <laughs> um, yeah, especially this character, May. She, she opened up so many more possibilities of what the action could be in a very action-packed uh, sequence of events. I think it's like the heart of the book, really. I, I don't want to give anything away, but it's it's a very important and crucial part of the book. It's in the first third or so. Well, you know, and and you have them in exile in Canada. Well, thank God for Canada. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you'd be surprised how much I've learned uh, about uh, uh, Black Americans in uh, in Canada and the civilization and societies that they formed up there. You know, they invented hockey for one thing. Um, <laughs> And and uh, just it's really heartwarming. And, and of course, they had they had their racists up there too. Everybody does, but the whole thing was just not done. It, it just wasn't done the way we do it here, or did it here, I should say. Um, they they just aren't those kind of people. So. Yeah, it's a it's a totally different it's a different culture completely. So that's really interesting. So you did a lot of studying for the time period and. How much research do you have to do with something like this to find out some of these details? And and uh, it must be a lot. Oh, it's it's tremendous, and especially uh, when I when I 
speak about real people that are interacting with my characters, like um, Francis Scott Keyes, or, um, who who actually did serve in the Washington militia uh, during the fighting there in 1814 when the Capitol was burned. So it was interesting to make James a member of the same unit. And then Key kept kind of popping up as a character that was very relevant, and he finally becomes a very essential character at the end of the first book, and, and then he's just gone, really. Um, he kind of pops in once again, but he's not, the, he's not the reason for the story, so he just adds to it and considerably. So um, my, my research is, I'm really proud of it. I, I, try to, I really strive for accuracy in, um, in things like that, names, dates, places, weaponry, the horses people rode, the wagons, everything that I can read about and learn about, I put that in. Oh, yeah. I, I would imagine it would be incredible because you want to get all the details correct. Otherwise, you know, you get backlash if someone reads it and they happen to know something and stuff like that. And with that being said, I guess your your setting must be very important. Do you, do you, do you actually make your setting almost, do you describe it like a character then? Very much so, yeah. The, the, the main uh, focus of the family is the farm that James's father bought after the Revolutionary War when he served with an all-black uh, Rhode Island unit. And his, his uh, dream at the end of the war was to marry his, uh, his sweetheart and move as far away from war as he possibly could. And he got, he got a separation from the military. I read all about that and how that worked. And he, he got a little bit of a land grant, and he went to a peaceful little town where he thought war would never, ever follow him, a little place out in Pennsylvania called Gettysburg. And, uh, and that's where the farm is. The family farm is there and, and is the center of, of everything, everything. You know, I'm curious how much literary license you need to take uh, to, to create a historical uh, fictional novel. Uh, to, to make the plot work, you know, do you need to compress and expand time, or can you follow the history pretty accurately? I, I do tend to uh, uh, expand across uh, a little bit uh, of a gap sometimes, and I'll, I'll do kind of a synopsis of what follows something for like a year or so, and then pick up the story again. I do that every once in a while, but I really do try to try to follow it along uh, i'll say something like when they're on the farm in the seasons one follows another and that kind of thing uh, until until there's another event in their life that uh, really slows it slows the time down how do you choose which real characters you're going to use and which ones you don't like how, what's your selection there well that's yeah i um it's it's um a kind of a combination i since i started with the idea of the banner key had to be in <laughs> in there because you know he wrote it but the other ones they just come i come across them when i'm doing my uh my research and i say well that guy's got an interesting story and a lot of people have heard of him like some famous abolitionists and and some um, uh, politicians of the time the fire breathers down south and all that stuff i'll get to them in, in the in this book i'm working on now but so it's it's pretty much I just come across them, and if they can help me tell the story and make it more real for the reader, then, then I draft them. Well, that begs the question, how do you get into the minds of your historical characters, especially your point-of-view characters, and get back into that, kind of into that period of time? Yeah, that's a little tricky. I, I, I have to safeguard really closely about using um, sort of current thinking, you know, 
you know what I mean? I, I can't make judgments about people based on the way we think today, and I can't have them speaking in a voice of today. So a lot of the editing really uh, comes down to the, when I get really nitty-gritty about it is, would they have said that this way? And sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes it's no. But I, I really do strive for, I want people to be totally immersed in all my stories, not just uh, Journey. How do you make sure you're, you get the, the verbiage right, the language right um, for the time? Do you have some sort of a is – there, is there an app for it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. Um, it it's, goes along with the reading. A lot of the famous people have done a lot of writing, and it's easy to, to hear them speaking in their own voice um, from the words that they left behind and, and the deeds, too. Sometimes um, – like especially the abolitionists, they made a lot of very famous speeches, but you can also just tell how they would react to an incident right in front of them. I don't think that's that's too much of a stretch. If something happens right in front of them, how would they react to it? Somebody's kidnapped or somebody's beaten or something. And and uh, that's that's about the only license I really take with, with other people's voices. Yeah, it's one of those. It's, it, it's kind of, I guess you really have to think about it because, um, but, but I'm, I mean, I'm also thinking more about slang and catchphrases, things people just say back then that they don't do anymore. You know, uh, things change. So, of course, you know, I was around back then. So, <laughs> <laughs> you, you and me both. You and me both. Yeah, I feel that way. You know, and there are some things like, you know, the F word. Nobody used the F word. Nobody, nobody said anything like that um and and i got to make a, a note on the language here and i also do a podcast uh that i've been doing i have three episodes of it out now um before i start reading from the book i always have to apologize to my listeners or my listener and uh and just say i've never i've never spoken any of these words out loud and it, it pains me <laughs> to do so now so if i offended anybody or hurt anybody i'm sorry and then i, I read it you're much nicer than me. Yeah, <laughs> but I do I do go back and, and try to find the things where it's like, I don't know if they would have said it just that way, you know. Yeah, because when you really think about it, there's a different, there would have been a different um, appreciation for things. And, and plus religion had a, well, I was going to say a greater impact, and it probably did in some areas, but it's kind of doing that now. So... But that's that's got to be influential as well. And then the south, south versus the north, kind of the they've got to have different things that they said to each other or would call each other, and you know what I mean, like just getting the little details. Oh yeah, and um, and a lot of that is is written down too. I read a lot of old newspapers and stuff, and uh, and uh, boy, it sure again, it's echoes of the past in every uh, Fox News or. <laughs> Uh, any of the other ones, you know, that, you know, calling our president a wannabe dictator, for Christ's sake. I mean, what kind of crap is that? Yeah. It's hard. The language is is, is hard. Uh, but it, it's just a matter of reading and, and keeping at it and keeping at it. So far, I haven't gotten any comments like, oh, they wouldn't have said that, or that's the wrong kind of gun. Nobody had that gun. So I, I even I've introduced a pocket watch into the story, but first I did about, three days of nothing but research on pocket watches to make sure I had one in the right time in the right place and the right uh, look and everything. Right. So. Well, hopefully we get you some of that um, hate mail and stuff, people saying you got this wrong. You know, we'll <laughs> try and work on that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, so someone picks up book one 
and even our book too. Um, what is it you hope they take away from this besides the entertainment and the characters and stuff? What is it you want them to, to think about? Well, I, I think the real point, and we sort of touched on this already, is you know I'm trying to make the book and the podcast both. Um, I want people to see that the, the issues of today are, they've been with us for an awful long time, and uh, and it's not getting that much better. I mean, sure, it's measurably better in a lot of ways, but in, in this this urge to uh, isolate the other, this urge to be better than others, is, is really strong in people. You know, when the Europeans came over here, they brought they brought all their uh, silly prejudices and ignorance and everything with them, and and just really went to town with it when they started bringing in these you know poor black slaves. And um, I just want people to think about this is a continuing problem in our society. There's no slaves, but there's st- there's still slavery. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly not over. You know, you can change the law, but it takes a long time for it to to blend into humans, right? doesn't happen mm, yeah, you know, yeah. overnight. And, and denying people opportunity uh, or a chance just based on the amount of pigmentation in your skin is, is just deeply offensive to me. I, I grew up in the Army. My dad was a career Army officer, and uh, I had friends. I had uh, black friends and uh, Asian friends, and believe it or not, I even had a Canadian. Oh, sorry. Well, oh, no. <laughs> that's really yeah. going. But uh, he was he, – he did – they didn't – have, he didn't have to stand during the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. <laughs> but we got we got to be good pals. But I I grew up, you know, one of my best friends in third grade was a guy named Earl, black kid. And to me, I never even heard the N-word until I was living off base and uh, probably in sixth grade or so. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, it's still very, I don't know, the whole thing seems weird to me. I don't understand where it's all supposed to go and what, what, what do people want, Do you know, this whole thing. I don't know. I just don't get what's the end game here. You know, it, it makes no sense. Yeah, exactly. You know, and even even Lincoln at one point was sort of behind the uh, they they call it the colonial movement, which was to send all the Africans back to Africa. Well, of course, by the time they were getting around to that, they'd been here for a couple hundred years already, yeah. <laughs> and they weren't Africans. They were Americans. It says so in the Constitution. It says so in the law. You know, you can't just say. I don't like the color of your skin. Go back to Africa, and the guy would say, "Well, I've never been to Africa. What do you mean go back?" So. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like sending me back to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> we already did that. Yeah, I know. You're <laughs> <laughs> on damn leftist socialist. I'll tell you, you people. Um, so now, it, it, this is a very important subject obviously to you like you're writing out of your heart here it's not just some fictional or science fiction thing you're doing this is something that's very important so i can't help but think when you go through a process of writing one of the books and it's finished edited and then you put it out there and it's published that that process of doing that book has got to have created or made some change in you and and do do you think about that Do, do you think about what each book and how it changes you? Uh, I, I think the whole story is, is uh, again, changing my heading a little bit. Uh, it is important to me. It, it is. And it's just, and, and, and at the heart of my story, and the reason it has a title it has is the subtitle is The Story of an American Family. 
this is an American family. And yeah, when I there's some scenes in the book that I'm actually literally, uh, now this sounds silly, but I, I'm writing through tears, and, and I just have to stop every once in a while and, and uh, get a Kleenex, and I don't want to lose my train of thought, so I stay in the room here, but uh, there's some times when I, it just gets to me. It, it really does, and there's a couple of scenes in the in the second volume that will, if, if it doesn't move you to tears, there's something the matter with you. <laughs> there is something the matter with me, but... <laughs> <laughs> Something more. That's a totally different issue, but that's uh, well. Issue is pretty. It's pretty fascinating to, um, I think, to cover this period. And and there's. What do you think um, Americans get wrong about this time period and the Civil War? What 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 do you think that's not really interpreted all that well with the younger generation? Yeah, and I think uh, uh, ten years ago this answer would be even more true than it is now, but it still existed. A lot of people get the point of view that, oh, this was a gallant struggle and, uh, you know, both sides were fighting for noble causes and all that. And it wasn't. It was uh, rebellion is what it was. And uh, I, I think that there's still this this thought out there in the world. And as much as I like the, uh, the Ken Burns Civil War series, he made it sound like, uh, you know, this romantic adventure, and these guys were doing this, and these guys were doing that, and it was hell. It was hell. It was hell. And in in the second book, I have a little big bibliography in the back, uh, a book called Shook Over Hell. I really recommend that to anybody who's uh, been around anybody suffering from PTSD. And it was written about Civil War soldiers uh, in the Union. Uh, and I just think there's this whole romantic thing that's going on now, uh, rewriting history or just trying to forget it and sweep it under the thing. But it's, it, and when people bandied those words about today, oh, we're going to, you know, it's a civil war, civil war, and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. It would be absolute hell if that happened. Right. Again. Right. Well, I think that happens with each generation. They get further out of touch with the challenges and also the struggles and the pains that are forefathers had to go through you know um you know my freedom you take away my freedom because i wear a mask and and you think about what people went through in the even in the second world war with rationings and stuff you just you know it's kind of it's kind of an out of touch thing going on there but you know one thing but with the south and me being a leftist canadian what i don't understand is and from from as far as back as I can remember, movies in the sixties and seventies with John Wayne and a lot of others, they glorified the South. It was always glorified in a sense. And, and if anything, a lot of the series and shows, the hero was a rebel from the South. So I, I don't I don't understand that concept and how it became that. Yeah, you know, and I've uh, I've noticed that all my life too, living on army bases. Um, and one thing I learned living in a lot of them were in the South. Um, did you know that every Civil War soldier or every Civil War statue in the South is facing South so it can turn its back on the North? And they did that, of course, on purpose. It, it's it's silly. I think they, they just liked that they rode prettier horses and had better uniforms and it shoots better in movies. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. It It, it is strictly... Uh, you know, kind of one-sided in the 
and the Union guys are not. Uh, I've got to stop calling them Union. They're, they were the U.S. Army. Uh, the U.S. Army guys are always made to look like the heavies and the bad guys, and well, not always, but but. In the majority of them, you're right, especially back in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, anytime I'm watching old shows, I watch a lot of old shows. Um, gets me in the head head frame to to do work writing, and and I'm surprised a lot of times about how the southern guy is is kind of like the the, the hero or the star of the show, and it's kind of a big deal. And I thought, well, didn't the South lose the war? Didn't they want slaves and all that? All these bad things like why would they be and it confuses me but then you know uh, if i ask the wrong person they tell me to go back to canada so yeah right well and one of the another aspect of that whole rebellion thing is is uh you know, my dad was a west point graduate and, and served with general Patton in the fourth armor in world war ii my son is a west point graduate who uh recently separated and is now uh working as a pilot like his dad did um, but all of those people that graduate from West Point, Robert E. Lee and all the rest of those guys, they stood on the same grounds where my father and my son raised their hand and swore an oath to protect and defend the Constitution with their lives. And what did they do the first chance they got? It's like, ah, screw you guys. I'm going home and fight for the other side. So I, I have a really deep antipathy towards the traitors from West Point. Yeah, I didn't realize. I mean, it's just... Uh... So, okay, so you're doing this. Um, so what's the ending? Tell us the ending. How's it all going to end? Everybody's happy and living in Canada? Huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, on the Edmund Pettus Bridge uh, there in Selma, um, I think the last word is going to be, uh, oh, my Lord. So so when you're doing these characters and you're, and you're doing the uh, – the good and the bad people and stuff. How do you write the bad character? How do you get your head into writing the people that are doing the evil things, so to speak, or the bad stuff? Well, um, it's, like I said, I did live in the South for a bit, so it's, it's real easy to sort of copy some of that voice. Also, I was a pilot for 30 years, and most pilots are right-wing, misogynistic, uh, right. race, racist, extreme people. Not, not all, because there was me. But there's there's a handful of us out there that, that know which way is up. So I listen to a lot of this crap uh, flying over oceans and continents and stuff. And finally, when I got to be captain, I just told everybody to shut the hell up. Yeah, <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> well, and then you should have just asked them if the world was flat. Yeah, right. What are we doing? How does this airplane stay up in the air? <laughs> Ah, oh, so much silliness. So, okay, and so, no, Budapest, you were in there for quite a while. What made you go to Budapest? Well, that's it's a funny story. We we moved there from Hawaii. Uh, we went to Hawaii for my job. I was a captain for Japan Airlines for six years out there, and when the contract came to an end, and my wife got offered a job um, in Budapest to run a, a radio station, a national radio station there for an American owner who she had already interviewed with for another position. So we talked about it and said, yeah, let's go. Because we had made an agreement when we got married, we are going to take the kids to live in Europe for a little while, but we always figured it would be my job to got us there, not hers. So so we went over uh, for three years and stayed for ten. It's it's a very livable city, uh, even with the Nazis in charge now. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful place. Um, and there was a huge expat community there at the time with a lot of, 
a lot of things to do and get around and and the kids were perfectly safe there not a lot of drugs no no violence of any kind the whole time i was there 10 years i think i read about two murders right so yeah we just stayed that's all until the government when the nazis really started seizing control uh they seized my wife's radio station so oh yeah i was gonna say it must you're so much closer to the uh to the point, you know, with Russia and everything, it's just so much. I, I would think there would be that worry a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, and, and uh, you know, there's still Russian signs up, you know, they're written in three languages because they haven't been gone that long. Or it wasn't when I was there. They, they hadn't been gone that long. So Right. And the way it's going, it won't be that much long before they get back. <laughs> I'm still just absolutely flabbergasted that they were ever led into the EU. It's just the biggest mistake they could have possibly made. Yeah. Well, we did we did uh, look at moving up there actually when we came when we came home because we're you know retired and we can pretty much live anywhere. But you guys make it hard for uh, for us uh, Southerners to get in there. So. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's there's, <laughs> there's enough problems as there is. We don't need. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need any more, you know. Yeah, no, no more itinerant pilots. Wandering well, around. yeah, you know, they come up with their guns and they and their ideas, and then they spread it, and things get worse. Yeah, of course. You know, we don't need that. Um, well, anyway, so so what's coming for you next? What what are you working on now? Uh, uh, I'm simultaneously researching Volume Three, and I'll probably start working on that. Um, at least the initial parts of it pretty soon here. But I'm also redoing a manuscript that I wrote when I still lived in Hawaii when I was flying for JAL. Um, it's a, an aviation uh, crime, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and a whole lot of flying is how I, I think of it. And uh, so I, I'm writing very familiarly with all those subjects. So I think it's a very real book, and uh, I, I actually – got an agent the first time I showed it to anybody and he showed me all these really polite, nice, uh, handwritten rejection letters from, from well-known people because they, they all said the same thing. There's no hero in this story. This is a very interesting read. You have an interesting style. There's no hero. We can't use it. So, but nowadays the anti-hero is, is a lot more popular <laughs> than it was back then, I guess. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm pulling that out and dusting it off and I hope to have that out in another month or so. So, so you had a lot of sex parties when you were a pilot? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I've always been sort of, I'm not the guy with the girlfriend in every airport. I was married when I started flying and, uh, and that didn't work out. And then I had a long-term girlfriend and she got killed and I had another long-term girlfriend and I got married. I'm kind of boring that way. Oh, that's too bad. We have to change that. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. So listen, now your podcast, what are you doing on your podcast? Like what do people get from that when they tune in? Uh, the podcast is called Gary Talks Too, because my uh, my Facebook page is Gary Loves to Write. So this one's Gary Talks Too. And again, uh, I spend the first half talking about pretty much what we were talking about in the first half, about the issues raised in the book and how they are still very much in in uh, in our daily lives now, just with different names, but uh, they're still here. And then the last half, I do a political rant where I get to have a little fun at somebody else's expense. So. Wow, you go. I mean, the political thing is, is hot. I know a lot of people that do those things on the side. And uh, they get they get a lot of attention when 
when there's politics involved, there seems to be a real thrill involved in, in people fighting over stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. you know. Well, in my last podcast, and I try to do one every 10 days. And, and the last one in my political rant, uh, I brought up the fact that Rhonda Santos would make an excellent, excellent drag performer's name in Florida. You know, Rhonda. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And, and if, I hear all those things. I'm like, uh, and and boy, that would make somebody awfully mad down there. But yeah, I just have a lot of fun with it. It's really kind of harmless fun. But and I I don't ever want to you know make anybody feel really ridiculously bad or anything. I, I quote people, and in fact, that usually makes them feel bad enough. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. crazy the way the way everyone treats each other uh, overall yeah. nowadays. It's kind of it's just uh, bizarre because there's so much good to live for that. It's just, uh, it's crazy people. So attentions are focused on, on stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Life's too short. I mean, uh, yeah. it, it's, I don't have time to be angry and pissed off about every little thing. I just don't. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Like who want, you know, I don't have time to worry about a, a drag queen reading books in a library or I, yeah. I, I just don't worry about it. I just, it's just silliness until something actually happens. It's a problem. Why even? Uh, why all the hype? Yeah, until until some drag queen uh, beats a group of children to death with uh, with the biography of uh, some baseball player they don't like. Until I read about a mass murder, yeah, from a drag queen with a book, I'm, I'm not going to worry about them. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, when actually, when I actually hear about a drag queen actually sexually assaulting a kid in an, in a bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, or or anything like that. Even one tenth of what you hear about going on in the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. come on. I mean, that's just yeah. ridiculous. But you know, I don't know. Just, anyway, um. So and now you Budapest. You wrote a book about Buda- Budapest as well. Yeah, it's called Driving in Budapest. Um, and it's no more about driving in Budapest than uh, Moby Dick is about uh, whales. Um. But it is about Budapest and life in Budapest, and uh, and I think it covers it. A lot of expats read it and gave me a lot of good feedback. Um, and it's five short, kind of short stories. Um, each one's about thirty to forty pages long, on on different aspects of what it would be like if you did drive in Budapest. But and how that that's a rhythm that moves through. It's a common thread through all these people's lives that are in these different stories. Well, that's interesting. So let's, uh, now are you, you're doing social media, website and all that. Let's give out all the sure, information. Sure. How do people find yeah. Gary? Okay. I'm, my website is uh, www.gvb, that's my initials, gvbrights.com. And uh, my email is gary at gvbrights.com. And I have the podcast, as I said, on uh, uh, Gary Talks, too. And there's a separate email for that if you want to connect. And it's the podcast at, G- at uh, GVB Rights. And I'm also on uh, uh, Twitter at, uh, at Reader Reclusive and the same at Instagram, at Reader Reclusive. Well, not on TikTok yet? No, and I'm not giving out my phone number either. Oh, no. Just, when someone asks for it, just give them Dave's. Yeah, them. I will. Yeah, that's yeah. what I do. Whenever the hate mail comes in, I just send them their way. In fact, I even give out his address. Why not? Oh, man. You know, he's, yeah, he knows Kung Fu and all that stuff, so, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's all he's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he can handle it. <laughs> they see him out there with that knife swinging around. They just kind of, oh, this oh, is yeah. crazy. 
They keep going. <laughs> but I, I really do love to hear from people. Um, I haven't really received any any negative comments. I've I've had one thing that came up in a book club when and the uh, uh, driving in Budapest is some of the people were angry at me and said, "Why did you kill this character?" And I said, "I didn't kill him. You did." I, I left it very nebulous. You know, it's one of those things like, mm. yeah. And so when I told them that, you should have seen the look on all these people's faces because they were all like, "Well, you killed this guy." No. Yeah. You did. Yeah, <laughs> I did. you murderer. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's always nice to hear from people, and and uh, you know, I'm always very flattered uh, that someone would take the time to drop me a line or something. Yeah, yeah, it's good, and uh, you know, when the the negativity will come, but yeah, it's not a big deal. <laughs> you know, you know, because even it, it doesn't matter if you if you really look at the big picture. Even the best writer, or the big, even Stephen King gets one star reviews. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. who you are. You can't please everyone. It's just you just can't, you know. No. So and you, and you just make yourself crazy trying. So. Yeah, yeah. You'll never, you know, you'll end up like Dave out in the thing doing kung fu, all crazy because <laughs> yeah. he's got bad reviews. You know, <laughs> never gonna win there. Well, okay. Now we'll have everything up on our website so people can find you with one click. It's simple and easy, and of course the books uh, that we kind of talked about. Well, we talked about all your books, but. Uh, the journey, and it's uh, the story of an American family, and we're talking about volume one and two, and the author Gary V. Brill. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me, guys. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Gary. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is the production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.